Welcome to this week's message. We hope you enjoy this teaching from Pastor Ray Dirksen, the lead pastor here at Southland Church. For more information about this message and other resources, visit myselfland.com. Well, at the New Year's Eve prayer summit, we praised the Lord for some big answers to prayer that we prayed for at the prayer summits in 2014. And we rehearsed quite a list. It was, it was incredible. And they were big. And through Jeremiah 33.3, God challenged us to act for greater things in 2015. So we handed out the prayer and fasting cards that we hand out each year. And on the face side, we listed three of the top big Southland requests for 2015. And on the back side uh, of the card, we gave space for you to... Um, to enter your top three personal prayer requests. And I think I have 20 in my personal top three requests, uh, something like that. Every year, we get many, many testimonies of answers to prayer that are answered even right in the month of January already. But of course, each year, there are some January prayer requests that are not answered the way we hoped for. Why is that? Well, first of all, some don't get because they don't ask. James says that. Uh, you do not have because you do not ask God. One stat I read not that long ago said that Americans averaged less than 10 minutes per day in prayer. That's not very much. Second, some don't get because they ask with wrong motives so they can spend it on themselves. And uh, James said that you may spend what you get on your own pleasures, which leads us to a third one, to something else that John said about prayer. In 1 John 5, he said, this is the confidence we have in approaching God, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have what we asked of him. Now, here's what I'm getting at. Isn't it true that we don't always know how to pray about a matter because we don't know what God's will is in that particular situation? I bet there's a bunch of you that have some things on the, on, in your top three or somewhere on your list that you're actually not quite sure how to pray for. I'm, I'm not talking about the kind of things that uh, the Kankades were praying for their daughter. Is it God's will that their daughter be saved? Yes or no? Absolutely. But then there's other things like health issues and job situations. There's all kinds of circumstances that we find ourselves in, and the scriptures teach us that we're supposed to pray without ceasing and we're supposed to pray about everything. And isn't it true that we have things on our list that when we get to praying them, we almost stumble or we mumble or we just don't know exactly what to pray? Do any of you have anything like that on your list? Raise your hand. Oh, so this is a pertinent message after all. I have a couple of those on my list too. Oh, I've got some of the Kankade kinds, and what a powerful testimony that was. But then I've got some other ones. And I'm just not certain if that is according to God's will or not. In Acts 12, Luke tells us that Peter was in prison uh, awaiting execution. So the church prayed that night, and he was released. Praise the Lord. Amen. We would have sang awesome right after that. It must have been the January month of prayer and fasting in Jerusalem. It worked. 
It was miraculous. The angel awoke him, undid his chains, opened the, lo- un- or, uh, opened the locked doors, and led Peter right out of the front gate. That is an incredible answer to prayer. It was obviously the will of God to release Peter in response to pray. Wouldn't you agree? So the next time you and I find ourselves in prison, this is what God wants to happen, right? All we have to do is pray hard, right? Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Just verses before that story in the same chapter, it says that James too had been arrested together with Peter. Only he didn't get out of prison miraculously. In fact, he was executed by King Herod with a sword. What? Was the problem that the church didn't pray for James as they did for Peter because they didn't like James as much as Peter? It's ridiculous. Of course they loved James, and of course they were praying for him too. But apparently, God had a different plan for James than he did for Peter. So God answered the prayers of the church for Peter in one way, and he answered the prayers of the church for James in another. That's what Paul was getting at when he said, we do not know what we ought to pray for. And the Spirit helps us in those weaknesses. So why doesn't God always answer our prayers for deliverance from bad situations the way we'd like, uh, the way we'd like him to? Well, I'm just going to note... 10, if, uh, depending on how the time goes. Then I'm going to go to how we ought to pray in the midst of that. And the reason for noting those 10 is not because it's a comprehensive list. It's because I want you to see just how many p- potential reasons there could be behind the scenes where God is working all things for good to those who love him. Because we sometimes don't meditate on that. We sometimes don't think about those things. And then we just get upset because we prayed for that. It's a bad situation. Prayed for that and it didn't happen. And we get grumpy and all the rest of it. And we miss out on God's purposes or we work at cross purposes with God altogether. And so let's be, begin with the first one. Sometimes it's to correct us. Jonah was told by God to deliver a message of judgment to Nineveh, the wicked and sworn enemy of Israel. Jonah fled in the opposite direction, so God caused a great storm to rise eventually, prompting the sailors to throw him overboard where he was swallowed by a huge fish. In the belly of the fish, Jonah repented. And God relented, so Jonah went on to deliver the message as before. David says, before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I keep your word. <laughs> it's, a, it's a good thing sometimes. There's a whole category about discipline in Scripture, and we're not going to go into that now. Secondly, sometimes it's to reveal our hearts to ourselves. Let's continue with the story of Jonah here for a moment. Disobedient Jonah finally went to deliver the message of judgment. Then he found a vantage point on the east side of the city from which he could watch God's judgment that was certain to come on Nineveh. It would be grand. It was going to be a spectacular judgment. And he wanted front side seats. No nosebleed for him. He wanted to see God whoop those Ninevites. Sun was oppressive that next day. So God caused a a leafy plant to quickly grow over Jonah to ease his discomfort. What a massacre it was going to be. 
Jonah couldn't wait. He couldn't wait to see what would happen, only it didn't. Instead, the people of Nineveh actually repented, so God relented from the judgment he intended, to which Jonah responded with furious anger. What a spiritual giant, this this, uh, Jonah. At dawn the next day, God provided a worm to kill the plant. First, he grows this plant overnight so he'll be comfort. Then next day, God's got it all set up. He sends a worm to eat it up at the roots so it dies. The result is, the sun blazed on Jonah's head so he became faint and wished to die. There was his trial. God then questioned Jonah, is it right for you to be angry about the plant? You've been so concerned about the plant, though you did not tend it or make it grow, and should I not have concern for the great city of Nineveh, which, in which there are over 120,000 people who don't know their right hand from their left? Jonah's heart had been exposed for what it really was. He didn't care a whit about the lost Assyrian souls. In fact, he hated them. Sometimes, God allows a difficulty or trial or testing in our life to cause us to rely on God rather than ourselves. Paul said in 2 Corinthians uh, to, to the church in Corinth, he said, For we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia, and it was very severe, for we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. But that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. It's a cure for self-sufficiency. The great sin of mankind has been independence and and self-sufficiency. That's what it was in the garden. That's what it's been ever since. And every sin comes out of that one. (laughs) Fran has often said to me and others, that she's grateful for the 10 neurosurgeries that she had because she was one of those who really liked God but could do anything and everything. She was one of these, I can do anything. (laughs) So God said, oh yeah? When she was laid up in bed for months at a time, all she could do was read her Bible and pray. Literally, that's all she could do. We were made to be connected to the vine. No fruit comes from self-sufficiency because His divine power isn't working through us. Franz says it over and over that it cured her of self-reliance and though she wouldn't want anything else, uh, uh, anyone else to go through what she went through, she is so thankful that she did. It's a cure for self-sufficiency. The root sin for mankind. And it teaches us how to pray and fast while we wait for for God to answer and work out circumstances as he did in the Kankade testimony. Number four, to reveal Christ in us uh, to those who are blinded by Satan. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, it says, The God of this age has, what has he done? He's blinded the minds of unbelievers. Then Paul goes on to describe, just a few verses later in verse 7, he says, But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. Remember that? Then comes that famous passage, we're hard-pressed on every side. 
And he goes on, verse 10, he says, We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. For we who are alive are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake so that his life may be revealed in our mortal body. So then, death is at work at us, but life is at work in you. <laughs> I think about so many uh, books that I've read, you know, about people like Esther and Kim, the, uh, the, the Korean who was, uh, who was imprisoned, and how she was tortured, and how she, how she was treated, and how she ministered in the prison, and one of the hard, hard, hardened uh, female guards how she observed on Kim, Esther on Kim, who's so different than all the rest. And she so saw the life of Jesus in the middle of her life that she completely softened and turned away from her wicked living. Isn't that incredible? We've all read stories like that. Sometimes, don't you think that if you were in Esther on Kim's position, that it would be a fair prayer to have on your top three, perhaps in your top one, to get out of prison? Huh? And yet God had a greater purpose. Many came to know Jesus in that prison cell. Sometimes that's why he's allowing the circumstances those kind of circumstances in our life, not answering them. Number five, to give us ministry assignments. Second Corinthians says, Praise be to God, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort those in trouble with the, <clears throat> excuse me, with the comfort we ourselves have received. We all know the, that the best person to minister to someone who's lost a loved one is someone else who has lost a loved one. Isn't that true? And, you know, you think about a, a Johnny Erickson and, you know, being a quadriplegic most of her life, you know, ever since being a teenager, and uh, has this huge worldwide ministry and uh, ministers to disabled people all around the globe, but actually she also ministers to just as many so-called able people around the globe when they see the power of God's Spirit, when they see Jesus working through her life, in the life of a quadriplegic, that can live like that. It inspires the rest of us. So she has ministry assignment because of it. Paul, in Philippians chapter 1, says, Now I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really... He was in prison. And this is what he writes has really served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace garden to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. And then you know what he says after that? And that's why I rejoice. One way or another, the gospel's getting out. And because I'm here, it's, it's encouraging and motivating others, some with false motives and some with good motives, to get the gospel out. And he said, I rejoice not. But he also had the opportunity to minister to others there, the guards, maybe some of the higher officials before whom he stood trial, so that he could minister the gospel of Jesus Christ. The prophet Anna 
lost her husband after just seven years of marriage, and she spent the rest of her life, right into her 80s, fasting and praying night and day. And the Holy Spirit revealed to her that the newborn brought to the temple was, Messiah, that was the Messiah that everyone was looking for. I believe that the Holy Spirit gave her an assignment to pray Messiah into being. Everything that happens, God gets somebody praying on this planet. And God, through a tremendously huge trial, gave her a ministry assignment that she couldn't have had otherwise because she would have had other priorities. One day as I was praying, years ago, I'll never forget the day, Spirit spoke to me and said, you, Ray, in Southland, have an Anna. It's grace fast. I don't say that flippantly. She and her children lost their husband and father when he was in his prime, and then God called her to prayer. What an impact. With 250 people in the prayer ministry alone, never mind that prayer is just permeated throughout the entire church. What an impact incredibly powerful ministry. I can't imagine us doing some of the things we're doing if we didn't have Grace Fast and her prayer ministry. Would, would you agree with that? Wow. I would never say it publicly and say, God, I'm glad you allowed her to go through that. But she actually said that to me not that long ago. She said, I, I was able to thank God that he took wretch. And I was thankful in my heart because I didn't want to sound flippant that she was willing to do that so that we could have the kind of prayer that's going to be needed here in this church, in this region, and that is going to be needed, yes, right across the country as Jesus is preparing his bride for his soon return. And there's some that he's going to call to some difficult trials in order to give them a ministry, sometimes a ministry of prayer. Number six, to motivate others to minister. Philippians 1 says... Because of my chains, most of the brothers of the, in the Lord have been encouraged to speak fearlessly, and I mentioned that, courageously and fearlessly. I was reading uh, the Bonhoeffer book by Eric Metaxas, and if you haven't read it, uh, we've mentioned before, then please pick it up and read it. I couldn't put it down. The brilliant German theologian Dietrich Bonhoeffer, on June, I have it in my Bible, I've, I've written it in my Bible, but in June 24th, 1939, God spoke to him through Isaiah 28:16 in German. The one who believes doesn't flee. And this is because his friends, he was a brilliant theologian and very young. And so they said, you know, leave Germany because Nazi Germany is going to, if you stay, you're going to die. Because he was standing for truth and he was standing against the Nazis. So they got him a, a prestigious position at Union Seminary in New York City. He could, he could go to any seminary anywhere in the world pretty much, and have a teaching position. That's how, uh, that's how uh, a brilliant a theologian he was. And while he was there, and he already believed in 
not only prayer, but hearing God's voice and listening prayer while he was there. And he taught his students that in the underground seminary that he had, that he developed in Germany when he went back. And when he was reading in New York City, he'd only been there a few months, in Isaiah 28, 16, it said, the one who believes doesn't flee. And the Holy Spirit spoke to him and said, you shouldn't be fleeing Germany. And he began to feel restless. He began to feel that the Holy Spirit was telling him to go back. On June 26th, two days later, God spoke to him again through 2 Timothy 4.21, do your best to come here before winter. And the Holy Spirit said, go back before winter. And you know what he did? He did just that. He was only there a few months, and he got back on the ship, and he went right back to Germany, knowing that it was probably going to cost him his life. And he did. He died just days before the Nazi regime fell. They knew that they were, gonna, that they were already defeated, and they hung him on the gallows. Now, that motivates me when I read a story like that. Does that motivate you? Yeah. Aren't you glad that he stood in the trial? Aren't you glad there are people like that who didn't always get their answers to prayer the way they thought but were willing to suffer and were willing to die? That motivates me to get involved. I want to sign up. And that's the point. Number seven, to keep us from sinful attitudes and actions that hurt God's work. In 2 Corinthians 12, verse 7, it says, To keep me from becoming conceited, because of these surpassingly great revelations, there was given me a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan, to torment me. To keep Paul from disqualifying himself and hurting God's work, God allowed a thorn. And by the way, it was from Satan. So be careful before you just think you have to Pronounce deliverance over yourself every time there's a messenger from Satan. There may be times when God has sent that agent for your eternal good. Do you think Paul in heaven right now is glad that he had that thorn? Yes or no? Yeah. Because it kept him from being conceited because of the surpassingly great revelations that were given him. You can imagine him saying, I don't know anybody else in, this, uh, in the world today who gets downloads from God the way I do. I am one special character. And he would have started talking like that and acting like that. Oh, brother, who would want to follow a guy like that? Listen to a guy like that, amen? God said, we're going to have to keep him humble. If we're going to, if we're going to give him those kind of revelations, we're going to have to keep him humble. Otherwise, he's going to get conceited, and he's going to disqualify himself from reward. And so God allowed it. God doesn't always answer our prayers the way we want because he's working out something much grander in our lives. And so sometimes we come to some of these top three on our prayer and fasting cards and we're not so sure always how we should pray. To strengthen our perseverance. In Romans chapter 5, verse 3, not only so, but we also rejoice in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance. 
You know what? Uh, you know what I've noticed? We're always, I, I, I always hear us talking about, I wonder if we can trust God. I hear people talking about, I wonder if we can trust God. You know, is He trustworthy? I think the real question is, can God trust us? Amen. I mean, really, with what he wants done on this planet, can he really trust you and I? Can he trust Southland? Can he, can he trust the Church of Canada? I wonder. We already saw the trouble that God had with Jonah. <laughs> wow, Jonah, God had to keep Jonah on a short leash. God needs to build perseverance in us so that, we, that he can trust us not to quit when the going gets tough. If we quit when he, it gets tough, he can't entrust big assignments to us. Take a look how, big, how tough it got for Paul when you go to 2 Corinthians and you get to chapter 11. That's before the thorn in the flesh in chapter 12. Chapter 11, take a look at the list of things that that guy went through. Any one of those would be enough to capsize the boat of many average Christians in the West today. And he persevered. Aren't you glad the Apostle Paul persevered? <sighs> I am. I think of years ago, we were at the church in Faithway, uh, at Faithway, the church that we planted there in Woodstock for eight years, and uh, as a family, They've offended us deeply. I mean, deeply offended us. Uh, what they did was nothing less than wicked. And he was a board member. And I remember after one particular evening, after we had listened to the stuff that was going on, I got in the vehicle, in the van, drove back to Woodstock, and I looked at Fran and I said, no one. I made a vow. You should never do that. Then you have to go to a set-free retreat. Amen? <laughs> huh? That's why I made one. <laughs> and uh, I said, no one is ever going to treat me like that again. That's a vow. <laughs> and that evening, I didn't realize till later, because I didn't know my own heart, because I loved Jesus. I was submitted to him. I left a career. And that evening, my heart left the church. And after that, I wanted out of that church, though I remained another year and a half. I wanted out. And so finally, as I was praying, huh, God granted my wish, and he told me. He actually spoke to me, and he spoke to my wife. You may go. Ha, huh. Who knows that sometimes when God is saying yes to you and speaking to you through the word and he's giving you a voice, he is actually speaking to you, but he's setting something up. He's giving you what you want, but that's because he's setting something else up. And so I got here and I thought, what a relief. I went to school, finished another master's. Then I wanted to, uh, then I got my, I prayed, can I get my airline transport license back again? And the Holy Spirit said, yes, by all means. Oh, we were excited. This is his will. So I got my airline trans transport license back. Got two jobs, uh, two job offers in Winnipeg. Starting dates, door you go in, the whole bit. Oh, this is God's will. In the secret recesses of my heart, 
I was glad because I was slipping out of church work. But I didn't even know my heart well enough to know that. And then within a 60-minute period, I got two phone calls, and they both said, we're canceling our plane orders, and you don't have a job. I was so upset and so angry, spiritual giant that I was, I threw a shoe. Okay, two. I did. So then I thought, okay, I can't fly. Then I'm going to, okay, I'll try for ministry. There are two churches in the region, both under 100 in attendance. I applied to both, and neither one of them would talk, me, talk to me. Wouldn't even have an interview with me. Now I was really upset. Finally, the only thing I could do was get on a truck. My father-in-law let me use his truck. I got my class one, and I ended up on a truck by myself, away from my family, who I loved so much, away from, my, away from ministry, and away from my career for three and a half years. I was so upset that I swung out, and I broke my hand in the bunk of that But when the three and a half years were over and I had an offer to take a small troubled church called Southland that had a couple of splits, I was so excited when I drove back in. It didn't matter. And God said, okay, now we're going to test this perseverance once again. And he allowed a confluence of circumstances in my life, friends, surgeries, the truck didn't sell, even though he told us clearly we were supposed to go to Southland, and it ruined us financially. It absolutely ruined us. Then she had all her surgeries, and two of the children walked away from the Lord, angry at the Lord for what he was allowing in their mother's life. I could hardly take one step after another, and inside I wanted to quit so badly. And who knows? Any preacher knows, every six days. You know what comes every six days? Yeah, another sermon. In which you're supposed to encourage them. I needed encouragement. But I didn't quit. Because God said, I'm not going to be able to trust you with a bigger assignment. Unless I work some things in your life, and I'm going to have to give you years of stuff in your life. And you're not going to get out of this by putting it on your top three January prayer and fasting card list. Amen? And then after it was over, God said, now I can use them for what I have in mind. <laughs> And then that leads us right to the next one, to ensure a reward. for At the judgment seat of Christ, our good works will be tested by fire. 1 Corinthians says, If any man builds on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, his work will be shown for what it is, because the day will bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire. And fire will test the quality of each man's work. If what he has built survives, he will receive a reward. If it is burned up, he will suffer loss. He himself will be saved, but only as one escaping through the flames. So, for example, if we didn't complete our assignment because of a lack of perseverance, we'll lose our reward. Did you get that? 
Hebrews says, you need to persevere so that what you have, that what you have done, the will of God, you will receive what he has promised. So God allows stuff to happen to you because he doesn't want you to lose your reward. Would you say that God is good? Can you say with me, God is good? God is good. All the time. All the time, God is good. Even when he doesn't answer your top three on the January prayer and fasting month card. He's working all things together for good. We're just looking at a few ways that he does that. Christians sometimes tell what they used to do for Jesus years ago. How many times have I heard that? 20 years ago, 30 years ago, I used to fill in the blank. I don't care. And God doesn't care what you used to do. He's wondering what you're doing now. But so many of us, just like what I showed you about myself, we quit. We don't persevere because somebody said something or the church didn't recognize me or didn't do this or we're disappointed or angry with God because he didn't answer our prayer and we're in danger of losing our reward. So I, I wrote at the end of this, thank you, Jesus, for not answering all my wishes so that I wouldn't lose my reward. And then I put it in capital letters for myself. Thank you, Jesus. And at this point, when I was preparing this, I just began to weep. I said, oh, Jesus, you're so good. Lord, you're so amazing. You love me so much that you allow tough things to come into our lives. For our eternal, the temporary for the eternal good. Wow. And then finally, to give us a desire for heaven, 2 Corinthians 5, we are confident, I say, would prefer to be away from the body and at home with the Lord. Sometimes it gets so bad, you just want to go. You're on the flip side of it. I'd rather die than stay with us anymore. Paul was in that exact same thing. For me to live as Christ and to die as gain. I don't know what I should wish for, he said. If I go to be with the Lord, that's far better. That's what he said. But I know it's better for you right now that I stay, so I think I'm staying. He wrote that from, he wrote that from a prison cell. Wow. That's incredible. I can't believe that God loves us that much. <laughs> He's not an enabler like so many of us as parents are. Amen? He cares more about our future, eternal good, than our, about our present momentary afflictions, as the Scripture says. So, how do we respond then? How do we pray? Perhaps you're confused, not knowing what to do or how to pray or, how fright, uh, or you're frightened or you're disappointed or angry or weary or even despondent. Perhaps you've become passive. Well, God's just going to do what he's going to do. My friend, you're in the danger zone. Or you may be sailing in clear blue skies. Everything's good. You don't know that tomorrow morning you will face your greatest test yet. You also are in a danger zone, though you may not even know it. 
In danger of what? Of falling into temptation. After Jesus and his disciples had finished the Last Supper, Jesus warned, this very night you will all fall away uh, on, on account of me. This falling away is a very serious matter. For, Jesus, uh, for see what Jesus says about it in Luke. He said, Simon, Simon, Sa Satan has asked to sift you as wheat, and I've prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. And when you've turned back or repented, strengthen your brothers. Peter confidently responded, even if all fall away on account of you, I, will never, I never will. Isn't that the way, the way most of us feel when the skies are blue? <laughs> awesome, we sing. <laughs> I believe in God the Father, I believe in God the Son, I believe in the Holy Spirit, and then blam, it hits us on Monday. And suddenly we're not so sure we believe in Him anymore. Hmm. Jesus replied to Peter, this very night before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. Peter and all the disciples declared, even if, if, if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. But sadly, they did, and so do many other believers when faced with trials. But Jesus had an antidote for failing in the midst of trials. When they left the upper room in Jerusalem and crossed the Kidron Valley to the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus began to be deeply distressed and troubled, according to Mark. And then he said something very significant to the disciples, Watch and uh, help me, church. Pray. What's the word? Pray. Let's say it one more time. Pray. Pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the body is weak. Twice Jesus instructed them to pray so they wouldn't fall into temptation. Of course, we know they didn't pray. They slept instead, and as a result, they did fall in temptation all fleeing and all disowning him. So what did Jesus do in the face of his trial? What did he do in contrast to that? He what? He prayed. They didn't pray and they fell in temptation, in their trial, in their testing. Jesus prayed. It says he withdrew about a stone's throw beyond them, knelt down and prayed. And, he, and we know that when he arose from prayer that he never flinched in the face of his fiery ordeal. Never flinched. So what happened in his prayer time that would have helped his disciples and will help us? Abba Father, he said, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me, yet not what I will, but, you, but what you will. He wrestled with his will, the desire to do God's will. And it says an angel from heaven appeared to him and strengthened him. Paul says something very interesting about this from his prison cell. He said, for it is God who works in you to what? To what? That's desire. And to? According to his good purpose. God gives us the desire and ability to do his will. And Jesus showed us how. We go into God's presence through prayer, and there God gives us his desires and his power to deal with our trials. In prayer, God exchanges our desires for his and strengthens us to persevere. When teaching his disciples to prayer in the Lord's model prayer or template, one of the things Jesus taught his disciples was, your will be done. Another thing he taught them to pray was, and lead us not into temptation. That doesn't mean they were to pray that God would keep them from trials. 
We already saw that he has reason for allowing that. But that he would keep them from falling into temptation, into the, being swallowed up by the trials and the testings. It meant they were to pray that they wouldn't fall. Such praying would have kept the disciples from falling away, and that's what will keep us from falling away or from working at cross-purposes with what he's trying to accomplish. Paul had a serious thorn, as we said. It was no small thing. It was on his top three prayer requests. It says that he pleaded for God to, to, to remove it. That's how bad it was. Paul had healed others. Certainly God would heal him. But, God resp- but the Lord responded, my grace is sufficient for you, but you're, that's what you're going to, this, this is what you're keeping, because it's good for you, as we mentioned before. And my grace is sufficient. I'm going to give you desire and ability or power to persevere under. Paul, like Jesus, received this desire and ability in prayer. Not only that, but we also receive perspective in prayer. Hebrews chapter 12 says, Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. What was the joy that was set before Jesus that made him willing to endure the cross? Isaiah tells us, Out of the anguish of his soul he shall see and be satisfied. Perspective because many would be accounted righteous and he would bear their iniquities. The same thing happened to Paul to keep him from being conceited. There was perspective. And if you come to him in prayer, he will, uh, he will give you perspective. But even if he doesn't show you, is it one of those ten or some other? Do you know what he's always willing to give? Himself. And when you Get him, you will discover that you got all you actually needed after all. The perspective, the answers aren't the key. Perhaps that's why he allowed it in your life, so that you could discover he was all you needed after all. So, This is important. Your eternal reward is contingent on how you fare in trials and testing. Second, there are others who are hanging on your nail. If you fare well, they will remain strong. If you flag, they may fail. It's important that we make it during trials and testings. There are people who are watching us. Could be our kids, could be our friends, could be others sitting in the congregation, others in the community. And if our nail flags, they'll fall. There's a third reason, and then I'm done. Miracles and signs and wonders are being withheld, I believe, in the Western world due to immaturity. The Scriptures teach us that there's going to be a huge outpouring of God's Spirit, and I believe that in spite of very difficult days ahead for the world and for the church, the Spirit is saying that He will do great signs and wonders and miracles in the last days, and these These signs and wonders will be a means of multitudes being swept into the kingdom in the midst of great difficulties. But here's the problem, church. Listen to this. Many in the Western church as a whole would rather have temporary relief, an answer to a prayer from some trial, than the good of God's kingdom. 
So when God decides to do some miracle, we have to hush it up in many churches and hide it under a bushel so that we don't offend those who aren't experiencing a miracle. And the point of the miracle, which is just temporary anyway, <laughs> you're going to die anyway. Just look at somebody next to you, you're going to die anyway. <laughs> miracle or no miracle, you die. <laughs> Amen? Amen? So when God decides to do a miracle... We have to hush it up because people are living for the temporary fix, the temporary relief, rather than saying, whether I suffer, I'm going to do it for God's glory and the advancement of his kingdom, if that's his best. And if he wants to perform a miracle in me or my neighbor, I am going to rejoice because that's going to be the means by which he's going to move forward and advance his kingdom and will glorify God. But either way, I don't care, I'm in. That's where the church has to become, has to, has to mature to. If, if God says to my wife, I'm not going to heal you, and that's how you're going to help me advance the kingdom, but then I want you to pray for so-and-so, and they will be healed, and it will be a miracle, then we're going to get up and jump and rejoice. Because it's about the, God's glory and the advancement of the kingdom. It's not about some temporary relief. But if our eyes are focused on the now, then God can't do signs and wonders and miracles so that multitudes will be swept in. And so we need to bow before our God and say, whatever your will is, as difficult as it is, I'm in. Church, can you say I'm in? No matter what, I'm in. Our reward and rest awaits us later. Tonight at the prayer summit, we will grow in praying for our personal requests. Don't forget your prayer cards. And bring them along. And we're going to pray into this in a biblical manner, okay? Father, thank you for your word, which gives us parameters of how we're to live and act, how we're to respond to you. God, sometimes we don't even desire to pray. Sometimes we don't desire to do your will, but right now we're asking you, Lord, give us a want to, to want to pray. Give us a want to, to want your will above anything else. For it's in Christ's name we pray, amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Southland Church. For more information or to download this and many other messages, please visit us at myselfland.com.